0: Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast, a show to share stories, insights, and experiences in strength physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm Michael Krukowski, host of the Strength Connection, and I'm so grateful that you can join me today. So in these episodes, I connect with some of the most inspiring and successful individuals to chop it up and learn from true life experiences that have helped them become who they are, the strongest versions of themselves. One of the greatest ways I've always learned the most important lessons is through stories. We all have them, and they make us who we are. So... Let's dive in. Here we go. Rick Mayo is one of my favorite people to talk fitness and business with. He first started Alloy Fitness back in 1992 and has went from trainer to business owner to licensee to franchise developer. Rick was one of the first pioneers in developing training-specific fitness centers and continues to lead from the front. And this March, he and his team celebrated opening their 100th franchise. So I thought it would be a perfect time to have him come back on the podcast. So there are five key lessons learned in reaching 100, and Rick details and explains each of these lessons in this episode. And the way Rick speaks on his vision and what it takes to develop it transcends fitness and business, and it's applicable to virtually any pursuit of a goal in life. So with that, let's get right to it. If you like this episode, you want to show the podcast some love, please rate and review it wherever you're listening to. And don't forget to subscribe, catch all new episodes. that are going to be dropped every single week for you. All right, thank you very much. Now let's get to the show all right let's have some fun rick mayo good to see you man thanks for coming back
1: hey likewise michael thanks for having me i was excited when you reached out it's been a minute
0: yeah no i appreciate you doing that i mean you hit another big milestone here congratulations that's awesome
1: thank you yeah we're notoriously terrible at celebrating wins but (laughs) um you know i think uh you know we're trying to come up with some rules because i know that that it's good for the team right like Mm -hmm. i don't care because i have a really big vision and so It to me, I fully anticipated getting here in some way, Mm -hmm. shape or form, Um, you know, sort of that Stockdale paradox where like things are hard, um, but you ultimately know that you're going to get there. Right. And you're going to be better off for it. So like that's my mindset. But I have to keep in mind, I've got a whole bunch of people on my team that probably would like to celebrate some wins. So we're trying to I'm trying to figure out some sort of frameworks or. Sure. guardrails around like maybe was it a 24 hour rule like what do we do like do we high five for this long and get back to work you know I've (laughs) got to figure out something we've got some old stale bottles of very expensive champagne in the fridge at work and it's like we haven't even touched them yet it's like all right we should probably bust those open but I just hesitate to do it because as you know, there's the fear of like losing that momentum, right? What like, Absolutely. What are we celebrating? <laughs> like we're not even close. You know, our goal is 800 locations by 2030. It's like, we're barely scratching the surface. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, but I could, I could get better. Uh, we'll admit at celebrating wins. So thank you. It was a good milestone and we, you know, kind of went around the table at our meeting and just gave props to the team. So that, I think that's enough for now.
0: No doubt. Well, you're spoken like an absolute true entrepreneur there, Rick. Onward and upward. But, you know, it's funny. I, you know, the last time we talked, I had you on the podcast was a little over a year ago when it was another milestone, 30 years of Alloy. You started in 92, and that was 2022. And now, from what I explained, probably in the intro, here is 100 franchises awarded. This was back in March. I know you guys are even more. Uh, over there, like 115 or so. But yeah, it is, it's yep. like, it, I'm sure it is something where you have a big vision, you want to get there. But also, like, I mean, it is, you know, hitting triple digits, you know, how much work, how much not just work on your own self, but from a team standpoint, like, it's, it's probably like, yeah, do you don't want to let your foot off the gas pedal? But also, it's like, yeah, you got to step, stop, and celebrate. It's like Ferris <laughs> Bueller's line, right? Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you might miss it.
1: That's right. I'm so happy that you appreciate Ferris Bueller's day off (laughs) movie because I can remember, you know, I forget how old I am and, you know, you still feel really relevant and young and, you know, I still do speak in the fitness industry a good bit. And I can remember asking a question to a crowd and you'll remember the famous line in there when he was absent for class and the professors like Bueller, <laughs> Bueller, like really flat. Right. And he's not answering. So I asked a question, nobody answered. And I did that. And everyone's looking around like, who is he talking to? You know, they're looking for some guy named Bueller. I'm like, all right, clearly no one's seen the movie in this crowd. right? <laughs> like, that's when you know you've aged yourself. <laughs> when I'm saying Bueller, Bueller, and no one's they're looking around for a guy named Bueller, I'm like, okay, never mind. This is oh, this man. is the wrong oh, crowd. God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did that. I did that
0: to a few teenagers I worked with. I gave a Goonies reference on there of there you know you sloth love chunk. And it was looking at me like I had three heads, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And like, it was one of those moments, like, <laughs> "Wow, dude, your dorky analogies of movies <laughs> are for certain generations, that's and you right. need to you need to find the new stuff that's coming out." That's there. right.
1: That's right. Watch Watch a newer movie, maybe. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. So, well, again, I mean, I you know when I reached out to you, I you know I thought this. I mean, I'm sure going from any venture you've been doing this business for a long time, you know, over 30 years now in this business, you've seen numerous successes from opening up first brick and mortar, being really a pioneer in the boutique fitness world to now going into the franchisee mode. I'm sure there's an evolution uh, behind it. And I guess my first question I'd love to ask is, you know, going the franchise route. I mean, you were already very successful in building a business kind of in brick and mortar. I know you went into the licensing. What was the reason behind wanting to go the franchise route? Was it almost just kind of the inevitable thing of being an entrepreneur and having a vision or was there kind of a different purpose behind it?
1: Yeah. You know, that's a million dollar question. And one that people ask and the first time I was asked it, you know, it caused me to reflect. And I think ultimately Couple of things at play. One being, like, from altruistically, it's like it's a better vehicle for success. I believe, you know, in our licensing journey, I had the distinct advantage of sitting on the board for some really big fitness franchises, largest in the world. I mean, imagine like four or five thousand locations, right? Mm -hmm. And so. I really got to see the impact of putting all your energy into one brand and all rowing in the same direction. Whereas in licensing, we were working with everyone from CrossFit to large family tennis centers. And it's a little bit scattershot, right? It was great. It was great business, but um, I saw the power in putting all of those efforts. You know, at one point I had a fitness education business, a coaching business, like a mastermind, a licensing, and I was sort of dabbling in all these things. And I'm like, wow, if I took all those collective efforts And put them into one brand and we were all going in the same direction that could be super powerful right so there was that and then i mean honestly from a financial standpoint we had a few people make a run at buying our licensing business and it became readily apparent based on the structure of the deals and the valuation um that you know when you're just selling ip without any type of like really contractual agreement or just the way say franchising works as opposed to just licensing alone right um there's just not as much enterprise value, honestly, in a licensed business as there is in a franchise. So it's like, well, if it's a more successful, um, you know, vehicle for the end user, which is the both the customer and the franchisee, and there's more enterprise value for my efforts for me, um, then then it's probably a win-win, right? And that that's really why we did it. And we didn't. I mean, you think about it; it took 30 years almost, you know, to make that decision. So we didn't approach it lightly. And I think you know, as we've entered franchising now, the stakes are higher. It's like, you know, I've slowly upskilled myself over 30 years, a million times. I mean, trainer, brick and mortar owner, multiple brick and mortar owner, consulting, speaking, licensing, franchising, each one of those required a completely different skill set and mindset Mm -hmm. from me. And so it doesn't happen quickly, right? I mean, it took 28 years to get there. And when you look at a lot of franchises, you know, they might be built on, I have Rick's hamburger shop, we have a line out the door, we should franchise this. But you really don't know. I mean, like what kind of market are you going to go into? You do better in the suburbs or city center, right? Like who's your customer avatar? And we had a lot of those things dialed in just from loads of experience. So it gave us a unique perspective approaching franchising. As it turns out, now that we're in it, it's a very compelling story because we could be seen as what's known as an emerging franchise, which are relatively new to the franchise space. Okay. But yet, based on our track record and having worked with other big franchises and our track record of the fitness industry in general, it's a compelling story. So it really helps to mitigate the sort of concern around, am I working with a brand new you know, a franchise that's just brand new to fitness and franchising? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, right? A lot of companies do that. And more power to them. If you get a bunch of VC money and fund some project and you've got some slick technology that your whole concept's based around and you want to take that to market that's great. Mm -hmm. As the franchisee, the purchaser of that, I would be concerned about that if it didn't have a long track record and some legitimacy in the leadership team around, what have you done in this space to be able to know that this is a relevant offering that's going to be well-received in these markets, right? Sure. So I think, you know, really long answer, but I think that's why both the vehicle for success for the franchisee and the end users in their community, you know, the clients, if you will, And then for us, the enterprise value of a franchise is just much greater. And to your point, it's sort of the evolution of a, of a entrepreneur. It's like each time that my skill set improved, um, you know, that gave me the opportunity to move into a better opportunity vehicle, which would be Mm -hmm. more lucrative. Um, and I think if you don't do that, you run the risk certainly of just sort of, you know, running out of runway. Um, and I'm not really sure that would fuel, you know, what I do, why I wake up and get to work every morning is I need a, big, ridiculous, far reaching goal to shoot for. Right. And that is very compelling, right? That's a great reason to get up and hustle.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We, we talk about like, you know, getting to a goal and then maintaining it and like sustaining that strength. We hear about that all the time with clients. I want to just get here and maintain, but I think we kind of know maintain doesn't mean you stay where you're at. Like, especially with the mind that you have, it's like, you kind of constantly need to challenge yourself. It means you have that growth mindset. So that's what I, I figured that was kind of it. like, it's kind of the inevitable step of, all right, I've kind of conquered this part of myself. Now I need to continuously challenge myself into another thing. But I thought it was interesting, Rick, you said like all these different transitions from trainer to business owner to business owner to entrepreneur. In your mind personally, was, is there one transition that seems like it jumps out at you that was maybe more the most challenging of going from one to the other?
1: um not really i think for where i was skill set wise maturity you know all the things um i think each one was now now in hindsight some of them seem ridiculous that i had any fret over any of those steps you know oh wow i'm going to open one facility right but look at the time you know you're putting everything on the line and you've never hired people and scaled a team and learned to move out of working in the business right Mm -hmm. and working on the business and all the cliche things but they're all true Um, I think each one was just as stressful in, you know, in relationship to where I was at the time. And so certainly now the stakes are really big, um, more so than ever, but I don't think it's any more stressful now, if anything, it's a little bit less stressful because like you've just done it enough times. Right. And even though I was as comfortable going from trainer to facility owner and taking, you know, putting my name on a lease guarantee at 22 years old, that was very stressful. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know I think it just prepares you along the way and to your point, I think you know what makes you happy um, as you're on your entrepreneurial journey as well is like you, you know you want to aim as you, high as you can possibly conceive and then bring everything that you have tool set tool wise and energy to bear right everything to bear towards that goal to me that makes me really happy and I can be working like crazy hard or I don't know. There's just something about that is so compelling. And maybe that's just that hardwiring of entrepreneurship, right? That, that to me is the most compelling thing. And so none of those steps felt any more, any less stressful um, than any of the others, because at that point in time, it was the biggest thing that
0: I had done, if that makes sense. Mm, Right. You know, it's interesting. I heard about like the difference that your body reacts the same way, whether you're nervous or excited, the same chemicals, Come out in your body, you know. Yeah, it's the same exact you know biology makeup that happens. The only thing that difference is your perspective. It's like, am I really like, am I really excited about this or am I nervous? It's just about what's going on in your mind, and it's tough. It's it's easy to say. And I think the more you build those reference points up of it, yeah, it's like all of a sudden you get more risk, you know, more tolerant to risk of taking it. Like, yeah, the stakes are higher, but it's really the same risk as when you were 22 years old, just kind of just getting started in this business.
1: Well, maybe it's like, you know, in the spirit of being in the fitness industry, maybe it's like a muscle, right? Where you could just build it up over time. And so, you know, in the, in the, in that reference, maybe you're lifting more weight, right? Or, lifting more load, but you're kind of doing the same things you were early on. And even though that load felt really heavy when you first started, you look back on it, it wasn't, but it's no different than the heavier load that you're trying to lift at this point in time, you know? So I think it's a a similar analogy, but yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it.
0: Yeah. So you guys, you and uh, your COO, Suzanne uh, recently just did a podcast about like kind of the five big lessons learned in, uh, in opening these first 100s. Great Topic, you guys really dove deep into those. And listeners, I you know, you know, tell you to go listen to that podcast info was awesome. What Rick and Suzanne did. What I'd love to do is kind of dive into those a little bit more sure. with you on it, because I had a few questions behind it. So the first one that you you put out there is purpose is really important. And the first thing I thought, and you actually nailed it right as I thought about it, is like it seems very self-evident, like you seem like you should learn this in here, but still it's kind of like, it's something that you learn maybe even deeper down the line from there. Like, is this something that is, is this something that was just kind of a deeper lesson that you learned as it was going? Or like, was it like a new like aha moment or like epiphany that made you realize that purpose is this much, this important?
1: Yeah. I think ultimately what happens and, you know, when you're in a business for a long time, you maybe lose, you know, you don't lose the ultimate why, because look, if, if we weren't doing fitness, it's like, know, one of our core values is humor with a touch of crazy. We always say like, it's fitness. Like, let's have some fun. We could be investment bankers if we wanted to bore ourselves to death and make money. Right. So I think, but what, what really reminded me of Purpose being so important, even though I knew it, was hearing it from all the candidates, right? And so if you can imagine the ideal alloy candidate, there's a certain threshold of um, net worth that you have to have. You have to have a certain amount of liquid capital on hand because mm-hmm. you've got to open a brick and mortar business and there's just certain things. So people that are in that situation, typically they're either very successful at a young age and we've got some younger franchisees, of course. But most of them kind of fall into the same customer avatar as our customers, which are sort of like 45 to 65, tired of corporate, mm-hmm. you know, looking for that next go around. And almost to a person, everyone will say, you know, first of all, can I get return on investment? Because if you can't get that, you know, then, then there's no point in even taking something to franchising and they're not going to buy it anyway. Right. But once you can answer that question. Then it becomes about purpose and to a person, everyone is so excited to say, yeah, I worked in corporate and I made these widgets and I was just a cog in a machine and I didn't really understand what I was, how, what I was doing was making a difference in the world. This is something that I can really understand, you know, what I'm doing, making a difference for people. And so when I just kept hearing it over and over, and I think for me, it was the realization that I was surprised, which seems odd. Because that's also why I do what I do ultimately. Mm -hmm. But like in franchising, it's like two separate businesses, man. You're in the fitness business and you're in the franchise business. And so we're really good at the fitness business. We're learning the franchise business. And the franchise business is the same whether I'm franchising, you know, water or fitness as an example, right? And so... Um, you can get bogged down in the minutia of the litigious nature of franchising or, you know, you're in meetings and contracts. And I mean, it's just, there's a lot of like heavy lifting on that side of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just kind of get further away from the end product. Right. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes it takes the people that are interested in it, speaking back to you, how passionate they are about having something in their life that has purpose. And it reignites that excitement in you. And that was sort of the realization. It's like, wow, everybody that comes to say discovery day, which is the last step in the sales process. And we get to break bread and sit down and have dinner. They all just go on and on about how great it is. And they can't believe that they would have the opportunity to get into a business that has purpose. And I've been doing it for 31 years. So of course I'm like, well, duh. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Anyway, let's talk about this. Right. And so I think maybe shame on me, but I think when I thought about it, it also reminded me of like, we used to do accredited internships. And I just took for granted how long we've been doing what we're doing and how many systems we had in place and so you bring in these young interns and they're just so excited about the thing right and their excitement actually excites you and that's how it's been in franchising it's like oh other people's excitement about having a you know the opportunity to own and run a business that has purpose has reignited my you know passion for what we do because Mm -hmm. it's easy to forget when you're just you know blocking and tackling all day every day and so Yeah, it was almost one of those duh realizations where I'm like, well, duh, of course, people want to have purpose in their lives. That's why I do what I do. But I'd gotten so far from that at times that it was nice to have them remind me, if that makes sense.
0: Right. You know, it is funny because I think so many people get into the fitness business because of that deeper meaning. You know, there's a million other industries where you can make a lot of money really fast and go the financial route. Fitness, has not always been that one for a bit. You can make a, a great living. You can keep going onward and upward in you know many different ways. You know, but it's funny, Rick. I remember when I was a manager at a, a company, I was there for like 10 years and you know, saw so much different success and all this stuff, but you're so deep in the forest, sometimes you can't see the trees. And I had an old mentor. Who kind of told me is like all the stats that we had, you know, we have, you know, 2000 people that are training here. They're paying, you know, some, some up to seven, $800 a month, like all this stuff that's going on in here yet the brand new person that's walking into this the club, they don't know any of that. So the only thing they know is the smile at the front desk and how you first greet them and you make them feel. It's like, and it was like we were training the front desk. He's like, never forget that that first impression. They don't get to learn any of that other stuff of how awesome this place is if you don't get this right. And it was one of those like sit back moments when I was like, Oh, yeah, like always go back to what was that first day when you were just so excited to talk to everybody about this fitness and this purpose. It's easy when you get experience to move off of that a little bit, just because you have more things that you're dealing with on an everyday basis when you get more responsibilities. But it is, I I could see how that's, you know, just a lesson that you probably relearn over and over again.
1: Well, it's funny because a byproduct of that lesson is it's reignited my excitement. So, when we have like you know Discovery Day, and I'm talking to people, or like say we're running a training week, we had like 15 people in for training last week, which is when clubs come to corporate to get their training before they lock to their presale. You know, um, I always jump in in parts of the training, and I'm just it, you know everyone always says. Yeah, I can't believe you've been doing this for 31 years. Like, I'm so excited about all the tools that we have and the success that we can have in the market. But that's been reignited through getting into franchising and hearing the candidates and how excited they are. I'm like, oh, yeah. And so I would say it's been very helpful for me, selfishly, going into franchising, because to hear how excited everyone is to have purpose reignited kind of the whys behind what we do. And then as of late, man, it's just oozing, right? When you And then you find like, well, what a more compelling, like who do you want to be the most excited person? It's like the founder, right? The guy who founded the company who's been doing it for 31 years. I still have more energy and excitement about it than anyone else on my team. And people like almost tease me about it because they're like, okay, you know, more of that. And like Matt, you know, Matt, who's our, uh, you know, he's our VP of like club operations, And he's like, yeah. And he's been doing it for 31 years, you know, and everybody will laugh (laughs) and they'll say, don't ever lose that. That's amazing. And you forget how magnetic that can be too. I mean, forget about it in sales. Sure. But Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, it's just a very compelling way to operate in the world. Right. And it's been really helpful for me to get back to that core root of why we do what we do.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It's that word you said there magnetic. It is because you know, so many people you see, like, oh, somebody's been in a bit in a job for so long, it's like inevitably you think that they're burnt out. When you see somebody that's more excited on the things yes. to they do, you know, three decades down the line. It's almost it <laughs> right. makes you sit back and be like, man, they must be doing something right.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, you're if you think about ultimately, I'm not doing it for this reason, but if you think about someone sitting there who's got a uh, worry, right? And they do like, listen, a lot of franchising for the candidates, it's just mitigating risk. And they, you know, they feel like they're crazy. They're getting into an industry they don't really know that much about. They're getting out of like corporate, which is more stable in their minds. I would argue it's probably not, but whatever. Um, but then when they see a guy like me, and clearly I have this raging passion after, like you said, three decades, they're like, I want that. What is that? Like, I want to wake up like that guy because I don't have that at all or what I'm currently doing. Right. And so in a strange way, it's really helps to draw, like you said, it's magnetic for people, right. They want to be around it. They want to experience it themselves. Um, but it's not, it's not contrived or, you know, it's not faking. It's, it's exactly how I feel. And there's no way you can fake that anyway, as you know, it just comes off corny if you do. So people know if you're really that way and I'm that way all the time. Yeah. Like, and I do say, and I'll tell people like, you know, we always wrap up Discovery Day with like uh Bronnie Wares, the Australian hospice nurse, wrote the book, The Five Wishes of the Dying. And the number one reason, imagine she worked as a hospice nurse for three decades, and she interviewed everyone in the last few weeks of their lives and would compile the answers to the questions and then wrote a very simple book called The Five Wishes of the Dying. Mm. But the number one wish, Michael, was I'd wish I had the courage to live life on my terms as opposed to what others thought I should do. So imagine there, you're dying, and you're thinking, God, I never took my shot, right? And so I think when people are sitting there and they have all this fear and worry and they see someone standing in front of them that's done nothing but that, who's so excited. And I'll just say, look, it's my biggest wish that like, you don't let your dream die inside of you. Like this is it. Like you can mitigate all the risk you want, but eventually if you think we're a good culture fit and we like you back, then you've got to take your shot and there's no better way to mitigate risk than to be in a franchise. And that's a fact, but I would yeah. love for you guys to experience what I'm feeling every day when I wake up, which is never dread, never don't want to do what I want to do. I'm always excited every single day. If you guys can experience that in your lives, you're really, you're really, uh, you know, blessed, I guess would be an yeah. overused word, but but it is true. I, mean, I think, well, yeah, I
0: think it's, I think it's the right word though. It's that I read that book a while ago and uh, it's, it's one of those like, wow, like, because you think when you're in the middle of your life, you you don't think that that day is coming, but we're all get we're all going to get there at some point. <laughs> And these right. are people that are are telling it right from there. And that kind of segues a bit into number two that you said, which is helping, be uh, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, through entrepreneurship, you know, it made me think of the book by Stephen Covey, which is the eighth habit. He's, you know, popularized and known for the seven habits of people, but he wrote another book, which is the eighth habit, which he talks about finding your voice and then help others find them, you know, find theirs, which is kind of about like abundance of coming out from there with that, like with entrepreneurs, it's, you know, we're in an age where an entrepreneur is cool like it's a cool term to have on there. It's like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I learned kind of the hard way, the difference between what a business owner is versus an entrepreneur. Like you kind of have to wear many hats from there. So when you're talking with, with people, is that kind of a little bit of the, the overarching kind of mindset of them? Like they think it's very cool or are most of the people that you're talking to kind of really ready to tackle this and take this on?
1: I think a little bit of both, right? I think we try to do a really good job of preparing people to understand what it really means. It does get over glorified in a lot of ways. Um, Again, it's sort of that idea that like, look, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be a struggle and you're going to have some sleepless nights and you may have to work more than you anticipated early on or it doesn't, I don't know, whatever, right? Like everybody has their different areas of weakness, if you will, and strengths. And so those are going to be tested because like you're going to live or die by your decisions, you know? that's it at the end of the day. I mean, you become an entrepreneur, you know, when you point that finger at yourself and you're like, right, this is up to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so franchise can certainly help. We can't make you successful. We certainly aren't going to make you not be successful. We're going to give you all these tools, but you got to go out and do it. Like, I think Mm -hmm. the best analogy I've heard is like, we're going to build a bicycle and there's lots of types of bicycles. Those are different types of franchises, but I could build you the perfect bike with a basket and made out of these great materials. It's got great, you know, components and everything on it. But at the end of the day, you have to get on it and pedal it. Like I can't pedal it for you. Right. Mm. So we try to do a good job of preparing people for that. Um, But I also, I try to explain the idea of what we're talking about, about aiming high and then bringing everything you have to bear towards that bigger goal and how that's really the key to fulfillment in life. And when you reach it, you know, you just move the goalpost and keep going. That's sort of how you have to be wired to be a successful entrepreneur. And so we try to set people up, you know, better, right. For that, for that mindset. And we give them tools like, you know, we run EOS as a framework right. for, you know, our corporate location. And then we teach that framework to franchisees. So they have some kind of scaffolding to kind of build their entrepreneurial muscles and skills around. Um, but at the end of the day, like you just got to prepare them as best as possible. But I think there is some aspiration to looking at someone who's been doing it their whole life. And I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. I've just been at it a long time, but to see the still that amount of passion, right. That's still there. I think they look at that and go, yeah, there's just something there that I don't have that I would like to have. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think I'm going to get it working in a huge company as the VP of you know marketing or whatever, whatever those positions are. Um, right. So, yeah, I think it's somewhat aspirational. And I think I have a lot of passion for entrepreneurship. I think it's what we mentioned on our podcast. Is I love fitness, like, but I'm just as passionate about entrepreneurship. You know, did most of my talks now, even though in the fitness space, are about how to level up and how to advance your career and mindset and all these things because I think that's really key. If you want to stay in the fitness industry, you have to evolve. For our earlier points, right. um, and so it really it takes the two things I'm most passionate about: fitness and entrepreneurship, and combines them. And so I really enjoy it. Like I love it. And so. A lot of people have asked, you know, to your point, like, why don't you just do more corporate stores? Because, without getting too in the weeds, Mm. you know, we we get a royalty, and the royalties of the top line gross revenue of a business, and so ours is relatively low. But and I have to say this because it's franchising, the profit margin can be really high, and so if you think about it, if it doesn't cost a lot to open. And there's good revenue, but not crazy high revenue. But the margin on that revenue is really high. It actually Mm -hmm. makes a better ownership model. Mm -hmm. So you could argue that, why don't you just slowly open 50 corporate stores? Because you would make a lot more money. And it's like, well, I could. Mm -hmm. But you could also do a bunch of franchises, grow faster with other people's capital. Mm -hmm. And in doing Mm -hmm. so, I get to scratch both of my passionate itches. One being fitness, the other being entrepreneurship. And I love to stand in front of a group of people, watch them you know, overcome their uh, risk adverse, you know, voice, yeah. take their shot and go and be successful. And, you know, we've been at it long enough now to have people that are like, man, when I was six months in, I was like, wow, what have I done? And then at about eight, nine months, I started to figure it out. And a year into it, I'm so glad I did this. This is the most wonderful career and job I've right. ever had helping people. It's like, awesome. I want yeah. more of that selfishly. Right. right. And so I think that's where all that, that comes from.
0: I think it's smart when I heard you say that on your podcast. I was like, oh, kind of goes back to that first lesson of purpose. You know, it's like there's you can scale super fast, you know, you can go super quick. Faster and bigger is not always the answer to it. It has to align with the purpose. Otherwise, it's it could be very short lived. And then all of a sudden, if it's not aligning with you, you know, the farther the branches grow, the farther away from the foundation it is. If that foundation is rocky, then eventually you're going to grow so much and the tree is going to tip over from there.
1: Yeah. Perfect analogy. Yep. You're hundred percent right. And so yeah. again, it's, it's perfectly aligned with what we, our DNA is, which is mm-hmm. both fitness and entrepreneurship. And so I think it, you know, it starts to manifest itself over time in every, in the way you go about everything in your business, from the way that we feel about how we coach our franchisees and manage those relationships to again, the enthusiasm around the training and the sales process and all Just I mean, it's a very simple, small brick and mortar business, but again, it's like, it's still complex for someone that hasn't done it. Right. Sure. So, um, so yeah, anyway, I could, I could go on forever, but you get it. you hit the nail on the head.
0: Yeah. Well, talking about like setting those, you know, those big, hairy, audacious goals that you have on there personally for you, is that something that you always felt like was a part of you? Was it something that you kind of learned to do more from either experience or from mentors? And I guess the second part too, is, Are most of the people maybe off the, like right at the beginning, are they almost setting their goals too low? Maybe from fear of trying to go too heavy, like, cause that could, it's, I just know from personal experience, from talking to a lot of people too, like it's, we hear those things, right? Oh, set your goals super high and stuff, but to actually do that because it's so far out of reach, you're not that person now who's actually going to be that person in there. It could be a really challenging thing to do.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, like real talk for, for me, mm-hmm. I used to be able to cobble together a lot of like half baked things, right? Like, oh, I've got a coaching group. It's got a couple hundred clubs in and I've got a fitness education company. I've got a licensing company. And I mean, like, if you just look at it, like, Hey, what's my income? It's like, it was amazing, amazing businesses, all of them. Right. So not necessarily bad, but really what I knew in my heart of hearts and what I never really wanted to admit is I never went full in on one thing. Right. And the reason was, you know, if I'm honest, there's probably a little bit of fear in that because like, once you go all in on one thing at the expense of other things that are working just fine, you know, you're giving up good to go for great, right? Well, now it's out there, like it's make or break. You've got one thing that you're holding on to and you bring everything you have to bear towards that one thing. If that doesn't work, Michael, that's a horrible thought, right? because like that's it like there's no other excuses that you can make about why you didn't get there and if i think if we're honest if i'm i'm probably not too dissimilar i can't imagine from a lot of people where they don't really make that giant goal because doing that would then give them the option to fail right so if you don't go for the big thing in your life you know you don't have to expose yourself to what your limitations might be and you just play safe right and you might i mean and look just for some people that might be just getting into a one brick and mortar space. And that's the thing, that's the BHAG, right? You know, and for, and over time, you know, that may evolve, but I think not until the last few years, which think about it three decades to figure this out that I look back and say, wow, I was playing small. And if I'm honest, I was probably doing it on purpose, like self-sabotaging because I didn't want to put all of my eggs in a basket, put my stake in the ground and say, this is where I'm going. And I'm going to bring everything I have to bear towards that goal if it doesn't work, then there's no one to blame but me. Whereas if I have a bunch of big businesses, I can just sort of move the chess pieces around on the board at any given time, still create income for myself, but never really go full in, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was been an interesting revelation, you know, to do that. So I don't, I don't know if people are not wired for that. I would imagine that I'm not that unique, like I said, and that there are people that are just afraid to do it because once you do it. And, you know, it's not like, you know, it's kind of like taking a goal and making it public, like even a weight loss goal. Like you tell everyone, Hey, I'm going to lose, you know, 20 pounds. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, everybody knows like (laughs) if you don't do it, they're (laughs) going to find out. Right. Um, I think the stakes are even higher when you put all of your resources into one venture. And then everybody knows, like, if you don't work, you don't work. And that's, that's scary. And so I didn't learn that for three decades, but now we're there and it feels amazing.
0: Yeah, it is. too. It's like, I've, I've had some conversations with uh, other coaches about this that I think notoriously as a culture, we're just not very good at goal setting, actually how to set a goal. Like we kind of say it and then it's like, we start doing it, but we don't go deeper. We get a couple layers underneath because it's actually realized really scary to put out exactly what you want in there because if it doesn't work out, then you've kind of just exposed yourself. It's very vulnerable right. to do, and there's no, it's not really a tactics and strategies thing that you can do. It really has to be a mindset and actually go in to be like, okay, what do I, you know, truly want? I remember, I think it was, I think it was Oprah who said this about like, you know, speaking with the, you know, top performers in the world. And it's like, you know, what makes them different from the other ones? It's like, they actually dove in to say, what do I truly want? And then when all in most, it's a very scary thing, you know, to do. And, kind of like you said, you could be doing just fine with a lot of different things, but it's not aligning again, back to what is the highest purpose? What's the deepest truth right. that you have from there? And it is, it's, it's kind of, if you just keep saying it, like, just, you know, know exactly what you want align with your goals. And it's, I talk about this now because it took me really until the last few months to even know exactly what I wanted to do with this business. Cause I, you know, I had success in a lot of different ventures in health and fitness, and then realized I wanted to get into more of the mindset side, the spiritual connection side as well. And it was like, well, do you know about this? It's like, well, this is really what you want to do. Might as well go all in and, and figure it out. And from that, it's like, okay, the day is much different as you go. You actually, it seems like you have more energy, you know, to do yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Like I finally, you know, I'm in a vehicle that's like scary and you're playing with the big dogs and, you know, you're, you're playing in an industry where it's like, you know, multi billions, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So the stakes are higher. The people you hire are much smarter than you, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything. And you just wonder, like, you know, I, I don't know. It's just been a really interesting revelation, but I've fully enjoyed it. I don't think I've ever been in this engaged again, per what probably people are perceiving for me is I've never been this engaged and I'm 30 years in and I'm kind of in the same business I've always been in. So it's like on one hand, it's like, geez, you're doing the same thing. I'm literally in the same brick and mortar that I was in when I opened in 92. It's just now expanded and it's our corporate office, which is weird. It's walked through the same front door, walking through as a completely different person (laughs) for a completely different purpose for 30 years. I'm a totally different person walking in the door now, but um, it's been refreshing, I guess would be the word where you you are finally bringing everything to bear towards a giant goal. And you know what, what I've realized too, Michael, and this might be good for people to hear, even if it doesn't work out and I'm not going to put that out there because all indications are that we're going to kill it. Right. Mm -hmm. I do mean that, but let's just say in a parallel world, things didn't, you know, something we had a hiccup or we did, but it doesn't matter. What's satisfying is that you did it right. Is that you, you put the goal out there. You aimed as high as you could possibly conceive. You brought all your resources to bear towards that goal. Even if you don't get there, you're going to be better off if you do that. That's all I can say because I'm not, I'm well on my way. Early indications are amazing. We're not anywhere close to where I want to be, right? And by the time I get there, I'll probably have moved the goalpost anyway. Exactly. Yeah. But I will, I can tell you, I'm so much more engaged and, and I guess happy is a weird term, but happier um, doing it like on that journey, finally having done it. And I think it's like, you look at, you look back and you're like, geez, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? It's like, well, cause you didn't, cause you weren't ready. And and at that time, maybe opening one facility was bringing everything you had to bear and that's all you could conceive. And that's absolutely fine. Right. Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. That is so kind of going to the next one, which is kind of tough for some people to hear, but I believe that it's true as well. Not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. So do there's this line, they say that like entrepreneurs are born, they're not, you know, made, do you believe in that? Do you think it's a teachable thing that you can, that you can do?
1: I think so. I I think there, I think you have to have a certain amount of grit would be the way to, and, and like we've, and what I mean by grit is like, look, if things do get tough and don't go your way, and it's almost guaranteed to happen at some point in your entrepreneurial journey. That you have whatever it is that it built into you, your DNA, to buckle down and, and do what needs to be necessary to succeed. You know, and I've heard this from a, a friend of mine in the industry, and he did this interesting sort of montage of ideas. But one of them was, um, you know, your best isn't good enough, right? Like you, and that's hard for people to hear too, because, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I'm doing my best. It's like, okay, the market is the true test of what your best is, it doesn't matter what you think. And if the market is telling you that your best is not good enough, you can either just make excuses and complain saying, well, I did my best or something wrong with the market, as an example, or you can use it as an opportunity to make your best better than it is, right? So maybe Mm -hmm. if you upskill yourself, your best will be good enough. But the fact is, if you're currently not successful and you feel like you're doing your best and you're honest about that, Maybe that's not good enough. And that's the hard lesson I think for entrepreneurs to understand is like people don't care. You know, the market doesn't care. It's just a thing. It's like a, it's like a litmus test. It's like the ultimate test of your will and your ability. And if it's telling you, it's not enough, you can bitch and moan all you want and make excuses. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not emotional. It doesn't care about you personally. It doesn't care what you feel. It's just telling you it's not good enough. And so, how you respond to that is really what makes you an entrepreneur or not, which is point a finger at your own chest and say, Okay, well, I do think I'm doing my best. Clearly, that's not enough. So, where are some things, you know, what's are some areas of my life or my skill set that I can upskill so that my best is good enough? And the market will tell me that it's good enough. And that can be in a million ways. Like, if we have a club that doesn't have great retention, that's what we hang our hat on. If we have a club, a, you know a, an open facility that has less than our target retention you can say what you want about all the things you're doing and we're doing all the things that you give us and I'm like you're not it's a no possible way because your clients are telling you that you're not right mm-hmm. period doesn't matter what you tell me the the fruits and the you know and the and the result period and so you have to get better I mean, that's, yeah. I and mean, it's a hard, it's a hard lesson to learn, but the entrepreneurs that do well, they understand that they accept that message and they use it as an opportunity to upskill and, and ones that aren't will just typically wilt. And it's almost like the analogy that we use sometimes is like when you, like I have kids that are grown, but when you tell your kids that they're successful, say in math, and you say that they're successful when they're young and you're like, Oh, you're so great at math. You're so talented. And that becomes the message about why they're good at a subject like math, Mm. that's a terrible thing to do to a child, because when they get to a point and they will, or they run into something challenging, even if it's calculus two or whatever that is, and they aren't good, they're going to automatically assume that they're not good because they don't have enough talent. Like they've run out of runway for talent. Mm. Whereas if you tell them, Hey, you're really good because you work hard at this. Right. And their answer to any kind of a challenge is just to buckle down and work harder and try to get better. Then when they run into these roadblocks and challenges, their, their answer will be, well, I need to, again, in this case, upskill myself in math as an example. Right. As opposed to like, that's why I hesitate to say like an entrepreneur is either born or they're not. It's like, okay, yeah, but there's still levels to the game, right? Right. Like you can ha- you can be risk adverse, but you can also be a crazy person that does drugs and likes <laughs> to skydive, you know, while you're high. It's like, okay, that's risk adverse, but in a poor way.
0: Exactly. But can you <laughs>
1: can you combine all those things, right? There's levels to it. And at some level, you have to understand that like if you're not getting the result you want, there's nobody to blame but you. And you have to do the work to upskill as opposed to saying, well, I'm just, I'm, this isn't for me. And then you just sort of wilt right under that pressure. And so it kind of goes back to like, well, what's the, what's the answer to the roadblocks because you're going to have them. And if you're the grit again, is in you and your answer is, well, I upskill and I work harder then you're going to be just fine. If you're not wired that way, you're going to struggle.
0: Right. It's so interesting it, it, that we're talent, right? It's a, it's a fickle word right there because yeah, it's like you think that it's just this natural thing that you're born with. Maybe you have some tendencies to go down there or you think certain ways, but it's true. As soon as you face some adversity, you think, Oh, my talents run out. I can't do this anymore. I've, right. I've and then You have ceiling. no, you have no, yeah, you have no solutions. It's like, well, yeah. you yeah. can't work harder because you just don't have the talent. <laughs> well, it's interesting right? what you said, like doing your best versus doing what's required. And I think it's, you know, I think inherently, you know, like if you're relying on that excuse of, well, I did my best and it's this and this, it's like probably inherently in your mind, you know, that you didn't do your best because your best is not a set point, right? You don't get to a level and like your best is just, this is where it's at. You know, it's like, if you, you know, if you play basketball and you're decent, but then you practice every day, well, your best from today versus a year from now, after that is going to be vastly different. You know, that's why, And it's like, so yeah, looking at, okay, what is required? I talk about this with people who are just getting into a fitness journey, right? It's like, you know, doing your best. Yeah. Well, you kind of don't know what your threshold is right now. You like, we got to find where that is. Like, so just doing it, just kind of, kind of head down and just get the discipline, just get it done. We're going to figure out where that threshold is. We're going to find these things that you can work with when we talk about things like in, intuition, intuitive training and stuff. Yeah, that's a skill that you develop and you kind of graduate to in the same way. But if you're at the beginning steps of a journey, and it's something you haven't done yet, okay, what are what are the requirements? All right, I'm going to do these the absolute best I can. And then if I think if you probably you do get to that point where you know, you've given your all your effort, and it's still not working, probably a little easier in your mind to be like, okay, like, yeah, I I absolutely did my best. This isn't for me. And you can swallow that a little easier.
1: Right. Yeah. But yeah. to your point, I think uh, to your point, I think the, the point that you made that I really liked is your best is sort of a moving target. Like your best yeah. now may not be your best in the future, but I mean, you're always bringing your best to bear, but I guess the point is there's like some honesty in being in a business where maybe your best isn't, you know, the market's telling you it's not good enough. Well, how are we going to respond to that? Yeah. Are you going to try to make your best better than it is currently mm-hmm. by upskilling yourself, practicing every day is your point? Um, or are you just gonna you know wilt and say, Well, I guess it wasn't for me.
0: Yeah. And exactly. I think
1: that's that's that little you know, bit of grit that really will make you, I think, a successful entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. So the next one you have is is setting the right expectations. I had a question on this one because I I think this is so valid. When you went into this, was it, did you set the expectations too low for people or did you set the expectations too high of what you were going to do versus what they're expected to do? I am assume this could be a really kind of tough dance to navigate.
1: It, it can, you know, and I think what we did is we set their expectations too low for what they would have to do and too high for what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And you didn't realize it until you started getting requests for things that anybody else in franchising would say is okay. That's crazy. Like, can you hire my people, or can you come and train these people for me? And you know, it's like we were surprised. Maybe you know, you know now we we will set better expectations. But surprised at the time, thinking, well, it's your business. Like, why would you expect us to do that? That's crazy. But then in hindsight, I'm like, oh, well, I know why they did because. We do a lot. I mean, we do have a really comprehensive package put together, but imagine if the message was like, you just signed the agreement. We're gonna send real estate agents into your market. We're gonna find you a viable space, we're gonna approve it corporately, then we're gonna send in our construction team and they're gonna handle everything. And all you have to do is get on a weekly meeting and just deploy capital when you need to and check check things off. But we're gonna handle everything behind the scenes, right? Hmm. But at some point you get through like a pre-sale or whatever, and then like it's over and then we're going to be like here's your business it's kind of like like somebody handing you a baby without having like conceived it or you know you know gone through 9 months of building it so to speak and then they just hand it to you like here you have a baby now and it's like oh my gosh you know so we're we did a poor job of setting those expectations in that regard and so now doing a better job of saying it's your business at the end of the day and we can like again the bicycle analogy i can give you the perfect bicycle but if you don't get on a pedal you're not going to go anywhere and I'm not going to prevent you from being successful, but I also can't make you successful. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think early on, you know, we were just trying to make it seem as seamless as possible. And we do have this great comprehensive sort of package of soup to nuts, everything put together, but we overstated how easy that was going to be. And when it got tough, of course, expectations or everything, we noticed people were like, well, wait a minute. You're like, are you guys doing this? It's like, no, we don't do that. That's crazy. Yeah. But that's our fault. So we've gotten much yeah. better at that and set probably expectations on the other end of it now where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, it's gonna be really hard. And then when it's not, it's like, oh, was not that bad, mm-hmm. right? You know how that works. It'd be like 100%. saying, Hey, weight loss is super easy. Exactly. And then they get in there and it's like, this is really hard. It's like I'd rather say you're gonna have to work your butt off. I mean, you have to do a lot of things that you didn't used to have to do that you don't wanna do, and you're gonna have to give up some things that you, you'd like to do now that you don't want to give up. It's not going to be fun. Now we'll tell you the juice is worth the squeeze, but just prepare yourself to do a lot of things and give up a lot of things that you don't want to. And if, yeah. if they'll just say yes to that, that's going to put them in a much better mindset when they start that journey.
0: It is I think it's one of the biggest lessons uh to learn in any type of especially like coaching venture. I remember when uh when Jason Phillips was on the podcast with his nutrition program that he talked about and He said, how many programs are out there where it's guaranteeing this six week transformation or 12 week transformation? And it makes it sound like, oh my God, you can look like this and then look like this. And it makes it look so easy when he's like, in reality, he has a bunch of coaches, like how many think it's that easy to do that? And it's all like, no, it's like, well, tell them that, like, tell them it's going to be a challenging thing. And you're actually speaking honestly and truthfully, like we know it's going to be a challenge of you know getting in but if you yeah if you don't set those right expectations then you know going into a new venture it's all hope it's all energy and excitement because you are projecting out oh my god this is what's going to happen then all of a sudden the first hard day comes and you didn't expect that, like, holy shit, is this right? Am I on the right track? Like, why is this so difficult? It could be right. really challenging thing. So yeah, I'm sure it's a, I mean, that's, I think a lesson that everybody can learn in any venture that they're doing, you know, in any pursuit of a goal.
1: Yeah, 100% agree.
0: Yeah, so last one here you had is, you know, keep it simple, you know, which is one of my favorite lines to say, and I totally understand that uh, from there. How is this like going from kind of franchise one into 100? How has this lesson been so prevalent for you? Because obviously, as you said, already successful many years in the business, you know, keeping things simple and kind of to those core values. How has this kind of been deepening in this lesson for you?
1: Yeah, To your point, it is our fifth core value and it's our final lens on everything. And we'll say things like, well, if the part time coach in you know, Salt Lake City, who's franchise number four for the investor is only working two nights a week, can they grab the iPad and run the play with integrity, right? Like that's sort of the final lens. This doesn't mean we're pandering to the lowest common denominator, I don't mean that. I just mean, is it really simple, right? And so I think what we've discovered and we knew it, but it's become more prevalent as we're actually walking down this road is that a scale alone makes things complex. If you have the simplest process ever and you throw lots of volume on top of it, it's gonna get complex. So it probably needed to be even simpler than what we had, which we thought was really simple. I mean, it's a very simple model. It's 1,500 to 2,000 square feet. You only need 130 clients to have a healthy business. You only have one coach on the floor at any given hour with six people. I mean, it's dead simple. People can understand it. And, and often we'll hear from candidates like, you know what I like about it? It's really simple. I would buy it because I can understand it. Yes. That's a that's huge, right? Like that's really important from a marketing perspective. It's like, we know our customer, we speak to them clearly, they know what it is. Awesome. But when you then move into running the business, it's like, okay, now you've got a couple of different pieces of software you've got, right. You've got the retention side, the sales side. There's a lot that goes into just making a small brick and mortar run simply. And so I think um, for us, it became even more evident as we scaled it, how simple it needed to be. And so we've simplified even going from licensing and working with all these different club models from CrossFit to big tennis centers, that was complex moving to franchising. It's like, this is our one thing that we do really well. You know, here's a gap in the market. We have the perfect machine built for this gap. This is what we're doing. You know, all our marketing goes to this one thing that's been great. So to me, that felt very simple, but I have to remember, I'm then giving this machine to someone who knows nothing about the fitness space typically. um, And they haven't been entrepreneurs. So that's a skill set. And I mean, we'll teach you how to run an alloy, but you also, we're also going to teach you how to become an entrepreneur, like the things we've already talked about on this call. Hmm. So I think it, it's just been a revelation that it needs to be as simple as possible. And in any efforts that we make in the future, that has to be our final lens or it's just not going to work, right? You just yeah. can't have complexity and yeah. people recognize that when they're in that sort of, I've heard it called like warrior to warrior cycle that they're in, when they're looking at taking on an entrepreneurial venture or buying a franchise, as an example, um, I think they look at like, can I run this thing? And, you know, when you've got people asking like, well, huh, how many other line items of revenue do you have? It's like, okay, that's the wrong question. Cause like you're going to struggle to just to nail the first one if you've never been an entrepreneur. Like it's going gonna, gonna, gonna to take a minute for you just to get your head and, and arms around just the main thing, keeping that the main thing. Let's start there. Right. Then we can add in the supplement sales and the other things that come along, ancillary revenues. We shouldn't be worried about that now, right? That's just probably what they were told to ask. But um, yeah, I think it's just been an eye opener again. It's sort of like the the purpose thing. It's like, well, duh, I knew it, but it's it's more prevalent than I thought at at scale. Same thing with the simplicity.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the most challenging things of it is that you know that devilish distraction of complexity is always available, you know, to you. There's always it's probably sure um, personally for you too. I would assume, like with an entrepreneurial mind, there's always new ideas. There's always things that can come in. That sometimes I'm sure can be tough to, all right, stay grounded, kind of keep it simple. That that's a great idea, but maybe go to that at a later time, like because those opportunities to think differently or think of new ideas, it comes with a little bit of a dopamine rush sometimes. Like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Should I jump with that or no? Keep it simple,
1: right? And I think that's the appeal of the eight line items of revenue. It's like, but again, I think that goes back to the not wanting to expose yourself if you can dabble in a bunch of half-baked things you're never going to really finish the main thing right like to to plow through like the operational inefficiencies of a business and get to the other side of that and really be really just great at the main thing is really freaking hard it's much easier to be like oh push up against it i run into a little bit of friction oh, i'll just launch another thing and ah, a little bit of friction sometimes that can all be within four walls right or sometimes it can be different business ventures. But I would argue that you then have like eight half-baked either lines of revenue or has eight half-baked businesses. And you're not ever fixing the root problem, which is probably you because you're just running up against the same roadblocks and then you just run off and start something new. And that probably gets to your level of incompetency, like the Peter principle. And then you go mm-hmm. over here and it just keeps happening over and over again. It's like you end up with all these half-baked businesses, right? So yeah. breaking through that can be very difficult for people. Um, and And again, it's, that's probably more the consummate entrepreneur. But I think even for someone who's struggling or just becoming an entrepreneur, they're excited, they're not even in that mindset. It just needs to be really simple because all of a sudden you don't have a marketing department compliance legal to run emails by. It's like, no, no, that's all you, by the way. All that's you. And I mean, franchising gives you this massive bandwidth. I mean, you look at the percentage of success in a franchise versus go it on your own, it's like five times greater chance of success when you have like a a support system, right? A platform to stand on, but it's still overwhelming for people. And so we'll just always use that as our final lens. And hopefully that'll, that'll uh, lend well, you know, for everyone involved as we, (laughs) as we continue to grow.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. It is, it's, you know, it's so funny too, if you look at most of like the major, you know, philosophies, texts and stuff like that of life, it's all talks more about, Eliminating the things that are distracting you versus adding more stuff. Like they all say the same thing, maybe a little different framework of it, but it all kind of comes back to that. Which you know we can, in English terms, just say keep it simple. You know, from there. Yep. So always, um, always, Rick. So it's a question I like to close podcasts out with. It's something I've asked quite a few people about, and I'm always curious about kind of personal definitions of this, but. How would you personally describe living the strongest version of yourself?
1: Strongest version of
0: yourself. That's a great
1: question. I don't know, man. I think it goes back to the the purpose idea. I really do. You know, I know that we feel like we've really beat this dead horse, Um, but pick something. I don't care what it is, it might just be getting to a fitter place if you're really out of shape. And improving your health, but that might be aiming really high, but that, that's it. That would be my advice, at least from my life experiences is aim as high as you possibly can shoot for personal excellence in every part of your life that you feel is feasible and, you know, bring everything you have to bear to each one of those goals. And you know what? You might not reach whatever that can, you know, what you might conceive as ideal. I will tell you that goalpost is going to move anyway. So that's maybe not as important as the fact that you're just moving in that direction. And you'll be infinitely better off whether you reach that perceived milestone or not, if you just aim high and move in that direction. So I think for me, that's, that's life. And that can be in your personal life. It could be as a spouse, as a parent, as a partner, even as an employee. If you're working somewhere now and you have aspirations to be an entrepreneur, it could be that, be the best employee, be indispensable as an employee, mm-hmm. do that. Like it's, it's better than the alternative, right? Which is to be useless. At the end of the day, you don't want to be that guy, right? We just did a podcast recently that'll come out as like, is college worth it? And it's like, in some cases, yes, but you should make a deal with yourself. And maybe this is part of the same idea, which is if you're going to pivot away from something, make yourself a deal where you're only going to pivot away if you move into something that's as, if not more difficult than what you're currently doing, right? And I don't care if that's business. If you don't want to go to college, fine. The only way that you can't go to college is if you're going to promise yourself that you're going to do something as difficult, if not more difficult outside of that. But what you don't want to do is be a 20-year-old in your mom's basement, which can manifest itself into a 40-year-old. And I don't know any more miserable people than useless 40-year-olds that started out as useless 20-year-olds, right? It's even less cute at 40 than it was at 20. Not cute either way. Don't (laughs) be that person. And the only way to do it is to, you know, again, make your bed, clean up your room, whatever those things are, like start with something small, aim as high as you can, move in that direction you'll be much happier and infinitely better off if you do.
0: Perfect. Rick Mayo, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate it. So pumped for all the success that you're doing. I know it's only going to keep expanding. So I'm sure we'll do this again as the milestones continuously build up. But again, thanks so much for taking the time and speaking to me today. It was my
1: pleasure, Michael. Listen, same to you. Congrats on your early success. Keep going. And uh, I'm a fan. I'm watching from afar. So I'm cheering you on. And uh, I would love to do this again when we're at 200 and you're doing what you're doing, you know, a million Perfect. podcast followers. We'll go There from we there. go.
0: That's it. Perfect. All right, my friend. Uh, if it, Yeah. If people are interested in checking more out, this resonates with them. They want to check more about Alloy. Where's the best place that they can go and, uh, and see your stuff?
1: alloyfranchise.com. You can message me there or you can find me anywhere on social
0: media, Rick Mayo, everywhere, basically. Perfect. Rick, thank you so much, listeners. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here, and if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. I much love to you. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you on the next one.